Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. New year, new environment. Today on Parts Per Billion, we bust out the crystal ball and talk about what's going to go down this year. Join us, won't you, for a roundtable discussion on the topic of 2018. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to Parts Per Billion, the policy podcast from Bloomberg Environment. I'm your host, David Schultz. So some news outlets do year-in-review things around this time of year where they look back on all the things that happened over the last 12 months. Not us. Here at Bloomberg Environment, we're constantly looking forward. No year-in-review for us. We do year ahead. So in keeping with that, we invited three Bloomberg Environment reporters into our Arlington, Virginia studio to talk about the shape of things to come. And I'm joined by Abby Smith, Pat Rizzuto, and Alan Kosky. Thanks, you guys, for joining us. Pat Rizzuto, hello. Hello. Uh, Pat is our chemicals uh, reporter, and she had a, a pretty big, busy year in 2017, and 2018 could be just as busy. Although, frankly, I was a little surprised that uh, so much happened on the chemicals beat in 2017, because in 2016, we had this big new uh, toxic chemicals law that Congress passed, uh, the president signed. I thought, uh, I guess maybe naively, that that would be sort of the end of the story but it seems like it was just the beginning. What, what, what happened with this new chemicals law, and why hasn't the story ended, so to speak? Well, it's a brand-new law, and so anytime you've got a brand-new law, you've got a whole lot of things to do to implement that law. And to EPA's credit, it has met every single deadline that was in that law, and there were a ton of deadlines in that law, very, very aggressive ones, and this is for an office in the agency that had very, very few deadlines before this law. So the the story in 2017 was, you know, EPA meeting the deadlines, will they, won't they? Uh, but it sounds like in 2018, the story will be lawsuits uh, over the, this new law. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, absolutely. And that's sort of a natural progression. I mean, any law in the U.S. is partly what Congress says, partly how the agency interprets what Congress says, and then what the courts say about how the agency interpreted what Congress said. And that whole um, stew of factors creates law. And so there was never a question that there were going to be lawsuits filed. It was simply a matter of who would file the lawsuits. If I'm a company that makes uh, chemicals that are covered under this new law, chemicals that are potentially toxic, when will I fully know exactly what I have to comply with and and the, the requirements that I'm going to have to operate under? Because right now it seems like 
there's so much, uh, there's there's so little clarity about what these companies are going to have to be doing under this law. Absolutely. For the foreseeable future, there's a lot of regulatory uncertainty. But the best advice is always, you know, they have to follow the rules that EPA has issued. So EPA has laid out its plan. But within that, there's always lots of different ways the agency can choose to implement its regulations. Will the agency uh, require companies to develop data? That can cost a lot of money. So far, there's no indication that the agency will. Will the agency require companies to dig through their files and at least hand over data they already have? Maybe it'll do that. Still, no indications so far. Um, so there's, it's going to be quite a while before there's enough of a track record for companies to know yeah. what to do. But it sounds like overall, you know, we're, I guess, give or take a year and a half after the bill was passed, and the, the dust, so to speak, still hasn't really settled on, on this new law. Not at all. But by 2019, i.e. next year, I think there'll be some really concrete developments. Well, that's, uh, I guess, uh, the agenda for next year's podcast has already been set uh, for the uh, 2019 outlook. Uh, We're going to take a quick break right now. uh, But first, I actually wanted to mention a hashtag that you can use if you wanted to comment on this or other episodes. That hashtag is parts per B. And so if you go on Twitter and use the hashtag parts per B, you can comment on this or other episodes. Uh, Once again, that is parts per B, and we hope to uh, see you online. All right, and we're back, and we're talking about uh, 2018 and what the year may hold uh, for the environment. And I'm here with Abby, who covers uh, climate change for uh, Bloomberg Environment. Has the Trump administration at least started to dismantle, I guess, like every part of the Obama climate legacy? Or is there, are there some parts, uh, you know, some policies that were enacted uh, during the Obama years that they just said, you know, we're okay with that. We're, we're going to let that, uh, you know, stay in place. It's a good question. I think a lot of the big name policies they have started to dismantle. You have the Clean Power Plan. You've got the companion rule for new power plants. Um, you've got rules limiting methane from new oil and gas drills. But there are some that have kind of flown under the radar so far. Um, One of those, an example, is uh, the policy to regulate hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs, which are highly potent greenhouse gas refrigerant chemicals. That has kind of flown under the radar a little bit. Um, There's a global agreement uh, that the Obama administration helped put in place to reduce these called the Kigali Amendment. And it's a big open question right now whether the Trump administration will support that. Um, They haven't really said that much about it. Uh, Another example of a policy like that is um, regulations of greenhouse gas emissions from aircraft, which the EPA, the Obama EPA, started the process to regulate that. And for all we know, that process, that work is still underway, but, you know, the Trump administration hasn't uh, addressed that. I think in a lot of the sort of popular imagination, I guess, for lack of a better word, I think people think that the Trump administration, especially under uh, Scott Pruitt, who leads the EPA, is just sort of opposed to climate change or opposed to doing anything about climate change writ large. You know, just there's they don't believe it exists. It's a hoax, uh, maybe a Chinese hoax. Um, is that really the case? Are they just do they have sort of a very kind of monolithic stance on climate change or, or, or is it a little bit more nuanced than that? 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's monolithic at all. I mean, I think that this administration's stance on climate change is, is complicated and it's not necessarily clear. Um, I think there's a lot of focus on whether the president or others in the administration, like Scott Pruitt or like uh, Energy Secretary Rick Perry, believe in the science of human-caused cli climate change. But, you know, I think it's telling to take a look at some of the other comments Trump administration officials have made. I've sat through many Scott Pruitt speeches, and he often likes to note that the United States greenhouse gas emissions are at pre-1994 levels. And the bulk of that reduction, he says, has come through American innovation and not by way of government regulation. Yeah, and I guess, like, you know, if he believed that climate change wasn't really a thing, then he wouldn't be citing that. He, you know, it wouldn't matter what greenhouse gas emissions were, what levels were at. Right, you're spot on it. You know, if he, officials also say that the U.S. will continue to reduce greenhouse gas emissions through innovation and technology, well, that begs the question, why do you think it's so important to reduce greenhouse gases? That totally conflicts with the whole climate change as a hoax position. So it's sort of it's almost like you know we're doing uh, we're doing a great job on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but uh, we don't really need to go that much further because climate change isn't really a big uh, that big of an issue. Is that a fair characterization? Right, and I think that you have to remember too that you know there's a lot of big hype every time President Trump goes to Twitter and talks about good old global warming the policy position is much clearer. I mean, the administration has already made clear they don't intend to make this a priority. So, you know, they don't intend to be a player on this issue on the international stage. They're not climate leaders like the Obama administration had worked so hard to be. You know, this isn't a policy priority for them. So I think that, you know, every time uh, an administration official takes to Twitter and talks about climate change and, you know, you get a, these news cycles where it's does he or won't he or will he or won't he, I think that you have to remember there's already plenty of evidence at the agencies, you know, EPA, Energy Department, Interior Department, other agencies, that this administration doesn't intend to put any emphasis on climate unless they're forced to. It's sort of a look at what they do, not what they say kind of a... Exactly. Right. Uh, we're talking about uh, 2018 and what the year may hold uh, for the environment. And I'm here with my colleague, uh, Alan Kofsky, who is uh, Bloomberg Environment's energy and natural resources reporter. And Alan had a really uh, fascinating story about this committee that has been set up uh, in the uh, Department of in the Interior that could really change the way that oil and gas companies uh, who operate on um, federal lands operate, I guess, so to speak. So can you tell us a little bit about this committee that, that, uh, and what it's set up to do and who's on it? Yeah, the committee is reviewing uh, financial policies that include most prominently uh, royalties charged to companies working on federal lands and Indian lands, and uh, they're, going to, they're, going to, they're going to review the whole question of what rates are appropriate, Sh should we change them, raise them, lower them? And do you, you know, I guess we don't know what's going to be, you know, uh, what's going to come out of the committee, but do you anticipate that these, uh, the aggregate costs, as you mentioned, will go up or down for these companies? If they're going to be more flexible about it, they can look at areas that are less attractive and say maybe we need lower royalties there at least down to the minimum the, the federal government permits, which is 12.5%. They can look at other areas that are more attractive and say we can, uh, we can justify setting higher royalties there. Uh, so there can be more flexibility than has been shown in, the, in recent decades. So that in other words, they want to set them uh, as high as possible without being so high that they, dis they discourage people from using these lands. Exactly. And there are a lot of arguments over whether to, and to what extent that may already happen. There are some companies that avoid federal lands, not just because of the royalties, the, those are not the big issue, but the total cost uh, of all the financial considerations 
and the uh, regulatory burdens, the environmental regula regulations especially, and the, uh, the litigation that sometimes comes with it. So some companies avoid federal lands, prefer state or private lands, and that becomes a question of how do we smooth all this out? Uh, what the Trump administration tends to say is we want to actually be a better business partner. If we're going to deal with these people, we want to deal with them in a way that makes more sense for them and us at the same time. Finally, you know, I wanted to take a step back and, and take a look at what, you know, the fact that this committee even exists. What does that mean about how Ryan Zinke, who's the Secretary of the Interior, what does that mean about how he views his role, you know, since stepping into the, to the, the position earlier, I guess, in 2017? You know, he's reforming the way that this uh, department operates in this way, but he's also kind of taken a lot of other measures to, like, reform the department. I mean, does he see himself as kind of a, a big change agent or you know, uh, is it different than that? Definitely a change agent. Uh, it comes back to that idea of wanting to be a good uh, business partner. The idea being that if we're going to do this, let's do it in a way that is smoothed out as much as possible. And is there, uh, you know, evidence that uh, Zinke has been successful or will be successful at sort of change, you know, being this, bringing wholesale change to the Department of the Interior? Still too soon to say the, there, there's a lot of uh, more optimistic talk, but uh, for instance, the uh, Royalty Committee will be coming out with its recommendations over the course of 2018. And uh, then if the uh, Interior Secretary uh, decides to go with those recommendations, then will come the implementations and then we'll see whether this works. So far, it's, it's more a matter of people being friendly. <laughs> Speaking of people being friendly, I'd like to thank uh, you three uh, of my friends for coming here. That will do it. You just heard from Alan Kovsky, Pat Rizzuto, and Abby Smith talking about their views on 2018. For much, much, much more of their reporting, visit our website at bnanews.bna.com. Today's episode was produced by myself with help from Jessica Coombs and Rachel Daigle. Special help today came from RJ Jewell. The music tracks for this episode are A Message and Europa by Jazar. They were used under a Creative Commons license. More information can be found at betterwithmusic.com. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.